0: Hi, this is Eric Corey Freed.
1: And Eve Blossom. And this is Care by Design. This week on Care by Design, we speak with Alexandra Massour, an entrepreneur who started a company from scratch during the pandemic, Moo Cow Market, to help American farmers have a way to sell their produce instead of throwing produce out When the pandemic caused the huge disruption in the supply chain and to have much needed produce reach customers. Alexandra is a great example of true grit and just jumping in when the need arises. Alexandra, what a pleasure to have you today on Care by Design.
2: Thank you so much for
1: having me. So it's been some months now since the beginning of COVID here and sheltering in place. How are you and your family doing during this time?
2: You know, I think for everybody, there's been um, a disruption in some form of their daily life. One of the things that we sort of put forth as a motto is that we're going to make positivity louder and just try to use this time of disruption to, um, to kind of focus on what is good and build on that.
1: And to that point, Uh, Your family decided to jump in and make a difference. And with your experience in startups, physical products, and distribution, it makes sense that you would use those skills. But this is an entirely different effort that you're doing in regards to, you know, the kind of relationships with local farmers, with perishable products, uh, mode of delivery, local geography.
2: Yeah, so Cow is has a lot of moving pieces. You're absolutely right. And a lot of those pieces are very new. You know, it was, you know, when when entrepreneurs say, start with a problem, you know, that's always a really good way to start. But for me, that's not always how I've started. And I definitely did not think that during the pandemic, we were going to start a new uh, business, so to speak. But when the pandemic started, like a lot of families, while we did every now and then definitely get food delivery, it wasn't an everyday type of thing. We loved going to the farmer's markets on the weekends. And every now and then, like every busy parent, I would have to pop in for that gallon of milk or what have you. Um, and during the pandemic, to be safer, we started delivering, getting our food delivered early on, we were noticing that these key staples like eggs, um, milk, things like this were being left out and consistently. And my son, who's 13, the next day, I sort of mentioned to him how I'd read an article about how millions of tons of milk were being thrown down the drain. Um, Eggs were being smashed food like potatoes, any sort of produce was being retilled and being put back in the soil, yet we weren't getting our key staples. And either were a lot of um, his friends or even my friends. And so he posed a very innocent and simple question, which is, he kind of paused and he's like, well, wait, can we get it from the farmers and bring it to our friends? And I paused, And I said, I don't know, can we? And from that moment, just sort of exploring this very simple idea of how we could go direct to the farmers, get what we needed, and maybe give it to our neighbors is really the seed um, of Moo Yeah,
1: and also to support the local farmers because they were throwing everything out and losing money and they couldn't sell to the restaurants. Their whole system had been disrupted.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you hit it on the nail, Eve, because basically 60%, and this is actually um, a statistic that Krish, my son, had sort of uncovered, that 60% of the food supply chain um, was being produced for restaurants, cafes, um, headquarters, like think of all the big companies just here in the Bay Area, universities, hospitals. I mean, what we sort of learned is, especially here in this area, there's a lot of family farms that are cooperatives that Operate under a big brand that you and I may be familiar with. So these families don't have the resources. um, And they also were going through their own struggles um, and trying to figure that out. So that's really where the problem is. Not to mention, it wasn't just us and our neighbors that couldn't get it. Um, We were watching on the news that the food bank lines were six hours long. And I mean, it was just happening across the country.
0: On the one hand, having food delivered to your house has probably been happening for 200 years. I don't I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe Ben Franklin was able to have food delivered to his house for all we know. Right. So it's a very common thing. Your innovation was in closing that, you know, that last mile of, of this infrastructure that wasn't really designed to do this. You majored in interdisciplinary field studies and fashion design, which seems like they, those two don't fit together, but somehow they do. And when you first started, you, you rolled out only to certain Bay Area cities, I'd noticed. And then you, then you expanded with new locations, new products, and so forth.
2: So I think you hit on a few things. I think it may be important to sort of touch on that because I think – the major, So I, I went to UC Berkeley and I majored in interdisciplinary studies, which is basically a major for my personality I t- type, I think, which is I'm interested and insanely curious in very many things. So like many Asian children in my generation, we really didn't think we had more options than maybe being um, a doctor, an engineer, and if you were really bad, a, a lawyer. Okay, so so I went in as a pre-med. I I am still insanely interested in the brain and was studying neuroscience, worked in a lab, had worked in many, many labs actually, which had taught me a lot about about asking questions, um, and, and finding evidence-based answers and iterating, believe it or not. And when I realized that wasn't for me, um, I dabbled in a few things and basically found a major that I could do a lot of different things in, which was really wonderful. But that interdisciplinary thinking made me realize that I had this sort of, um, superpower. And it was only sort of looking back, I could see that there's something so special about bringing different disciplines together. I think I'm what people may call a generalist. Um, And I think that's one of the best things you could have as a problem solver. And if you are a very curious person, I think um, problem solving becomes a job. So I don't even see myself as an entrepreneur. I see myself as a problem solver. And, um, you know, My son was being interviewed for Mukau Market and someone asked him, what did you learn about your mom? And he says, my mom's very resourceful. And of course, I really sat with that. It was like my son sees me as resourceful and that that was really interesting to him because I ask a lot of questions. um, I, I thrive in looking for problems to solve. Anybody can be an entrepreneur if you just are innovative and forward thinking and asking a lot of questions. But if you are a maker as well, I think you have to be insanely optimistic. So knowing that that was the context and this pandemic hits, I own a company called Par Avion Tea, which is a luxury tea company. We sell to uh, 2,000 independent gift stores. Our address of our workshop is literally Main Street. And I bring that up because Main Street America is really the backbone of what um, is of the economy and of the job market and a lot of our customers. Of course, we also sell to the big department stores all over the world. But when the pandemic hit, I called my customers to see how they were going to do these independent stores. And that is what led me to this context of realizing there's a huge shift and it's radical and it's big. And so when Krish asked me that question of could we, I didn't want to say no. I mean, I was so inspired by the thousands of calls I'd made in those few days to my customers whose address is also on Main Street. And I felt like if they were paying, pivoting, to use that sort of Silicon Valley lingo, um, to to not survive, but to thrive. I think that's the most American thing we can do. We have that fix it mentality. And so that sort of kicked in. And of course, you know, when as a mom, when you have your son looking at you, you're just like, well, I, I mean, what am I going to do?
1: You mentioned about being a maker. You're a maker of an entrepreneur right in your household. I, your, your son is watching and learning and doing um, and he will be an entrepreneur, I, I, can, I can already see. You had to move so fast in the beginning, and this shows that your nimble entrepreneurial skills, um, you really have designed what I would call not just the supply chain, but the value chain, because you care about every person in the value chain, the farmers, the workers that are working for the, the, the farmers, the customers who need the products. Is your focus on reaching and supporting more farmers more broadly, and to reach more customers in a larger geographical area.
2: Yeah, I mean that's a really great question. So, um, so currently the way MooCow is right now is we have local uh, food delivery. So we're talking perishable items, groceries, and um, that's Monday through Friday. Which, by the way, is a huge feat because when we started, it was one day a week. Then it was two days a week, and now it's Monday through Friday. And um, during that time, we started getting emails from, um, you know, a syrup producer in Vermont, for example, a popcorn corn farmer in Indiana, um, a, a woman in Yuba City. I mean, lots and lots of producers. How can you help us? one of the things I thought about is how can I leverage what I know? So while I own um, Parvion, which is a tea company, I also own Alexandra Mysore, I have a namesake home line that sells candles. What they have in common is their giftable luxury items. So I knew the gift market really well. And I knew that um, I could sort of, leverage that in some way. And I knew that edibles could be um, a wonderful gift. So what I did was immediately try to work with the producers who had products that weren't um, perishable, that maybe had a little bit of a better shelf life. And now we have a national e-commerce gift store, moocowmarket.com, where we put together meal kits. You place your order and the very next morning, we, um, we were working with bakers that, you know, they had extra capacity given the disruption of the cafes and all of the customers that they were serving. And we source the flour, um, vanilla, I mean, everything, you name it, the eggs within 250 square miles. This became a way that we could create a bigger impact because we're not just helping just the egg farmer just the vanilla, just the mill. we're now creating products. And that's where I felt like, how could it create a bigger, bigger, bigger impact? Um, and that's why I think the e-commerce part of it has been so important because we can ship anywhere.
0: I just ordered a package for my mother-in-law because you were talking and it got me hungry, so. Uh, I just... <laughs> good. <laughs> you talked about leveraging what you know And you also kind of implied the idea of these opportunities come up and you, and it helps you identify gaps. Yes. Normally I would think that you'd be looking at, you know, fleshing out your offerings, so to speak, right? You're doing eggs, you're doing syrup. Okay. What else could we, could we offer? That would be the normal process if this was a normal world. And again, that, that talks about a design thinking approach to business, which is great. But now we're in the middle of this resurgence wave or whatever we call it with coronavirus. And as this is going on for a while, what do you see as needed for the sustainability of food production nationwide, or maybe the sustainability of delivering food nationwide for the next year or possibly longer?
2: I think the pandemic has shown a big, big spotlight on many of the existing cracks that we already had in many supply chains. Food is one. And I use this example because maybe even my own sort of innocent ignorance is, I remember when Krish was little and I was with my mother-in-law, he must have been maybe two, and my mother-in-law is like, you know, he was eating carrots. So where did this carrot come from? And he says, oh, next to the cilantro in the grocery store. And of course we laughed. We thought it was adorable. Somehow he didn't fully, fully grasp that it came from the ground in the root and that somebody picked it right? And I think there's been a disconnection in modern society in a disconnection of where our food comes from. And now when we talk about food being delivered, sometimes that's an even further disconnection, right? You've even lost the art. And I think we can all relate missing, picking that perfect avocado, picking that perfect peach for us, right? Um, My husband likes it ripe. I like it a little bit less. Like, you know, we miss that sort of romanticizing of these ingredients and even further. So I think that's important to recognize. So how many people were sitting there thinking before the pandemic, where does my food come from? And um, what can we do to help the food supply chain? No, you press a button, it came. You know, we're trying to actually figure out how we could cook less in some ways. And, you know, we're trying to keep more women in the workforce. And so we were placing less time and importance on domestic life, so to speak, okay? And so now this pandemic comes, We're having problem getting foods. We're seeing farmers. And by the way, we need farmers to stay in business. If they're not making and growing our food, we will have nothing to eat. I think it's incredibly inspiring that we see people baking bread on Instagram, that we see people starting these home gardens. It almost matters none what happens in our new normal as and if people go back to work and start to live a hectic life because people have made a real connection once again to the beauty and the pride of growing that perfect tomato or basil or what have you. And that sort of of unexpected moment of domesticity and bliss at home for those privileged and lucky enough to have that is going to be an important driver in what comes next, in my opinion. And um, I think that for Moo Market, for us to be a very tiny part, like we don't even call our customers customers, we call them neighbors because they really were. And and that's the feeling, um, you know, our brand isn't, I don't even call it a brand in this business. It's really a promise to our community that we're going to do better, that we're going to listen. But I think now more than ever in this business, because it wasn't started, like you said, with a business plan, by the way, if it was, I would have put as my competitors Instacart and all these other things, would I have even thought to start it? Where's the blue ocean? You know, this is just proof point that you don't need to think everything all the way through. And there's definitely a lot of beauty and a lot of money and uh, impact you can make not thinking things all the way through. It's okay. After the last pandemic, um, there before I should say the one before that, uh, there was the Renaissance that came afterwards, right? And so. Everyone's in their homes. They have this moment to pause. We're seeing all these problems. I encourage everyone listening to sort of, to just go for it, really. You know, just go for the biggest problem you can. Everyone right now, and I think just by you creating a podcast like this about care, is realizing that there's this beautiful current of of realization of empathy starting to bubble up in our country. Thank goodness, and I think that here is an opportunity for us to look at the bottom line beyond profit as problem solvers, people, planet. Like we talk about these things, but you know, this is we can make a difference right now.
0: It's funny you mentioned Blue Ocean Strategy. Uh, it, I I actually have the book right there, and I can't reach it. <laughs> it's but, a great uh, book. <laughs> but. Um, 're you're, you're, yeah you're absolutely right. you also said something earlier about Main Street. You were both literally on Main Street, but Main Street being the metaphor for what you're doing and i i would I would almost argue that the mere fact that you even acknowledge that Main Street is your key partner in this and that your your company could help amplify or, or buoy them or connect them to customers they wouldn't normally get is probably your sustainability strategy or your resilience resiliency strategy how else are you thinking in terms of dealing with that because the sustainability of food is a mess carbon footprint pesticides nutrition health diabetes on and on and on not to mention food waste portions equity distribution equality
2: yeah so you know, when I was I grew up in Minnesota, when I was in 3rd grade, my dad happened to have this book laying around. It was by Harvey McKay and I forget the exact title. It's something about how uh, beware of the man, the naked man who sells you his shirt. For whatever reason, there was no iPad yet. We didn't have cable. Of course I picked up the book and I started reading it also timed when our girl scout troop was going to be selling cookies. So, I realized that my superpower is sales, and I've always fallen back for myself, which is what can I do today by myself with my own control? And to me, sales cures all. So to answer your question, I really truly believe that if I can create an assortment products that consumers want regardless, that will create enough demand to then of course, fix some of these problems look i can't fix it all so now if we can grow and create a pipeline for these producers these makers these all all these sorts of people it's not like they're not empowered they also want to grow their ventures and grow their business they know their business better than we do and so i think partnering telling their stories coming together and supporting
1: yeah alexandra i have known you for years and years and have watched your incredible entrepreneurial you know, spirit during this pandemic. This moment is really highlighting your expertise, who you are, the way you think. The one thing I wanted you to try to like, dive in and, and really explain is the emotions that you feel behind the doing.
2: Yeah have so many answers. I think I read something in Science Magazine about baking and gardening becoming really uh, big during the pandemic because it is the one thing you can kind of control to some extent. You see mastery in something that's tangible, physical, and enjoyable. So I think finding something in your day-to-day life if you can, even if it's the smallest thing, is really helpful. Can you imagine when we have our new normal when there is a vaccine, hopefully there is. When things are better and we can embrace one another again, we now have this awareness of love and care. And, and you're having these important conversations, the both of you, about how to bring care into process and business. Like, what the heck? This is so amazing.
0: I found it interesting that most Girl Scouts are reading, you know, <laughs> Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret and she's reading Harvey McKay. (laughs) It is strange, I agree. (laughs) Destined to be an entrepreneur.
2: Clearly. By the way, I didn't even know what the word meant. And and so I just wasn't, there wasn't that social network yet. I don't know. Maybe it was going to Berkeley at just the time of when Google was happening. And I'm so grateful for that, actually, because I would have thought I had to go to business school, got an MBA. But the beautiful part, I think, about a place like this, is that uh, people are so open-minded, you know? And and I think that's what's still really so great
1: about America. Thank you for your time, Alexandra, and great to have you on Care by Design. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast of Care by Design with Eric Corey Freed and me, Eve Blossom, as your hosts. We look forward to our next interview this upcoming Tuesday. Visit us on social media on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at care by design pod and there you can see additional show notes of each of our podcast interviews and additional posts on new podcast interviews so tune in this Tuesday for our next care by design podcast hear us then